know, because you probably don't, we've been in the middle of a series called The Difficult Sayings of Jesus. And really the reason we're doing this series is because as you read the Bible, as we explore God, faith, and spirituality, there are a lot of things in the Bible, especially that Jesus says himself, that when you read them would cause you to pause. They cause you to pause, they cause you to speculate, and oftentimes we do not pay attention to what Jesus has said quite as much as we say how important he is. And so if he is that important, it is much more important to actually listen to what he's saying. And so today we're hopping into one such passage. So hop to your feet, stand with me, please, as we look at Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, it'll be two quick verses. We'll be looking at verses 26 to 27. I will read it in your hearing, and then we'll pray. Jesus says, it says, Jesus, he answered, and he's answered it. Is it right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? But there's a woman, and she replies, and she says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You can have your seat. We're going to pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you because through thousands of years, you have maintained and cherished a book that we can use to grow closer to you. We thank you, God, as we dive into the word today that you will speak to us. God, more importantly, God, more more with more effort and more potency than any word I could preach, I ask that you speak to our hearts directly from you. Let people not really hear from me today because I don't have much to say that's worth their listening to. But let them hear from heaven because God is good and we can trust you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, before we get too carried away and you start wondering what is going on with Jesus talking about throwing bread to dogs, I do have a question for you. Have you ever really needed something from someone and been rejected? Now, you ever, ever called your friend and you reach out to your friend who always has your back and the time you really need them to do so, they don't have your back. They don't answer your phone calls, they're not answering your text messages, they're not showing up. Have you ever called everybody around you and like you really needed this thing right now and no one is answering the phone and the people who are answering, they just can't help you. And you feel alone and you feel it and sometimes deserted in those moments because you really needed something. And if you're like me, you're like, well, I would have did it for you. So where are you when I do need something for you? And in life, there are these moments of rejection. But can we be real about some things? If that is how we feel when it happens to us with our friends, have you, what happens when it's with Jesus? Have you ever gone to Jesus for something repeatedly and he hasn't answered? Have ever prayed about the same thing for a while and he hasn't answered? Or like the text we read today, his answer is far more confusing and upsetting than you would have liked it to be. You see, there are times in your faith walk and in your relationship when God doesn't seem good. Where life gets the best of you and if you're not careful, you can look at God and be like, you know what, you don't even have my back, so I'm going to deal with this myself. What do we do when God doesn't seem good? Do we throw in the towel? Do we get upset? Do we start punching people? Like, like, what do we do when the person we think we can go to for everything seems to not be answering us? You see, that's what's happening in this text we read today. And we're going to hop back into it before we get a little bit too distracted. So we're going to look at verse 21, you see, because there are some things that are happening in the text that we need to pay attention to before we get to what we read today. Verse 21 says, when Jesus left there, He withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Pause, because if it's in the Bible, it's definitely worth pausing and thinking about. 
Jesus leaves the place he grew up at. He leaves Israel. He leaves Jewish territory and goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon. This region is not Jewish, which means it's a Gentile. And if you don't know what that means, basically Gentile means not Jewish. Right? So Jesus leaves his people and he goes to people who, honestly, if you were Jewish, you didn't like to begin with. The Bible uses the, Bible uses the term later on and it says Jews had no dealings with certain Gentile groups. Like, they didn't like Gentile people, but Jesus goes and the text says he withdraws. And as soon as he gets there, verse 22 gets us into the narrative that we're talking about today. As soon as he gets there, the Bible says, just then. So immediately, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and kept crying out, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Pause. What makes a woman who does not know Jesus run to this stranger in the middle of her neighborhood, right? Like there isn't social media. Nobody has been posting, tweeting, threading. What is, it's not Twitter anymore. What is it, X, Xing? Terrible, right? Nobody has been posting anything about Jesus. She doesn't even know what he looks like. But she is waiting urgently for someone who can solve the problem that she has. And so as soon as she gets there, maybe she heard somebody whisper down the market street, oh, that looked like Jesus. And she goes, it looked like who? And she takes off and she runs to Jesus. And the Bible says she keeps crying out, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. But then she says, my daughter is severely tormented by a demon. First and foremost, this proves unequivocally that according to the Christian tradition, demons are real. We're just going to leave that there. But it also proves that she is going through something that is not only tormenting her daughter, but is tormenting her. As I'm reading this text, I was like, God, what does it look like for someone to be severely tormented by a demon? Right? Like, well, how terrible is this woman's day that she is willing to run and scream at a stranger in the street who she knows just by virtue of where he's from, those people don't like her. Is she getting ready to go draw water in the morning and her daughter is sitting on the kitchen floor staring at a mirror laughing to herself like, like in a horror movie? Or is it even worse, like some of the worst horror movies, does she walk in the room and her daughter is levitating on the ceiling with her head spinning like in a movie? Like what is she going through in this situation to urgently request the aid of a stranger? But no matter what, whatever she's going through, whatever pain and torment she's going through, it is big enough to push her to desire to cry out after Jesus. And like we said, unfortunately, in the scenario at first glance, it cannot look good for her. How not good does it look? Well, we look next verse, verse 23, and it says it like this. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, send her away because she's crying out after us. So this woman is begging Jesus for something, crying out repeatedly. That's what the Greek points to. She's crying out repeatedly for something from him. And he stands there mute. You know how weird, awkward silence is? Like, I'm an introvert, and even I don't like awkward silences. If anything, if you're not going to talk to me, you're wasting my time so I can go home. Like, if nobody's going to talk, I don't really need to be here, right? But so it's an awkward silence, and Jesus doesn't say anything. 
But instead, his disciples approach him, which means they was, they was out doing their own little thing. And this woman comes to Jesus and his crew comes over and is like, hey, get her out of here. She's crying too much after us. Number one, we'll pause. She's not crying out after us. She's crying out after Jesus. Right? Like, she's not even bothering them, but they've internalized that and taken that to be their own thing. So it's crying out after Jesus. And it's odd when you go to Jesus for help and the people who are supposed to know him the best push you away. It's odd when you go to Jesus for help and because of the way that your request is being framed, the people who are supposed to be the nearest to him, the ones who will be the pillars of the church, that will be the pillars of the temple and revelation, those people say, send her away because she's bothering us. I'm going to leave that there because that's another sermon for another day. But the Bible says he replied and his reply is where it gets a little bit interesting. He replied finally, breaking his awkward silence and says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What does that mean, Pastor Malik? He literally says, I'm not here to meet your need. I'm here for my people. And so this Gentile woman has this response from Jesus because honestly, it's true that he was here for the lost sheep of Israel. Right, John says he came unto his own, his own people, the lost sheep of Israel, and his own received him not. So Jesus is a lion. He is first and primarily to Israel. That's why above the, the cross, when they crucify him, it says king of the Jews. Because he was there for them first. He wasn't there for them ultimately, but he was there for them primarily. And so in that, he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but she doesn't stop. Jesus basically tells her, tells her to put the brakes on it, and the Bible says, but she came and knelt in front of him and said, Lord, help me. Jesus has put the brakes on her request, and she says, Lord, help me. Again, what is she going through at her house? What is her situation like? for this to be her resolve. But she says, Lord, help me. And this is when Jesus actually answers quickly. He answered and said, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. See, this is the difficult saying. What do you do when Jesus' reply to someone is, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? You see, in this time, Jews viewed Gentiles as dogs. Dogs were unclean, right? Jews, they had a lot when it came to ceremonial cleanliness. They had whole books and laws written about those sorts of things. And so there's like this Jewish, this, this Gentile woman is unclean. And so number one, some people would like to postulate that Jesus is calling this woman a racial slur. Pause, not what he's doing, right? Number one, it's not a racial slur. If it's a racial slur, he's a sinner. And if he's a sinner, he can't be your savior. Right, so it is not a racial slur. What it is, is he's actually telling the truth. Number one, he came primarily for Israel. Number two, she is unclean. And so he's like, honestly, it's not right to give the, the bread for the clean children to the unclean people. He is not telling her a lie. He is being very honest about that. And he, they're having this encounter. But this woman became one of my faith heroes over the course of this week because of her reply. She responds quickly and says, yes, Lord. She said, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. 
Jesus says, I don't even want to give you the children's bread. She goes, I don't want the bread, just give me the crumbs. And her reply to Jesus is why she becomes my faith hero. Why? Because she understands something that is fundamental to the Christian faith. She fundamentally understood that God was good. That's what she understood. She understood that even if this encounter isn't going the way I would like it to, I do know something about Jesus and he's good. How does she know that? Well, I mentioned earlier, she ran up to a stranger, but she must have heard some stories. She must have heard how he healed a demon-possessed boy just the chapter before. Because there isn't social media, but there is word of mouth. And I've been long enough to know people like to talk about foolishness, but people still like to talk, right? And so they're talking and all she might have heard was there is this prophet in Israel who is healing the sick, feeding the thousands, and soon will raise the dead. So she must have known something and she took the little she knew and realized that I know enough to know that he's good. You see, this woman realizes that at the end of the day, Jesus is good. But not only does she realize he's good, she also realized he didn't say no. Right? I think when God says no is a very different sermon. But Jesus never said no. He said, I was sent to the lost sheep, the house of Israel, and he said, it's not right to give the children's bread to dogs. None of those are no. If you're like me and you liked annoying your mother growing up, I knew when I had a chance of getting something from my mom, it was when she didn't immediately say no. If I say, hey mom, can I get $50 to go buy the new 2K that comes out every year, right? And she, and she wouldn't, if she didn't say no, and she said, how are you gonna get to GameStop? What that meant when I was getting $50, and I'm, I'm gonna figure out my ride to GameStop, but she, she, she didn't say no. But if I could ask us a question, how often do we stop seeking Jesus when he hasn't actually said no? How often do his harsh replies or his lack of a reply or his silence stop us from persistence when he hasn't said no? There are so many doors that weren't locked, they were just closed and we walked past them. There are so many opportunities that he didn't actually say no, we just thought it was a no because it looked like it required more effort from us. You see, when my mom said, how are you gonna get to GameStop? What that meant was if I could get to GameStop, I could get what I wanted. That meant there was some effort there that usually meant I had to call my dad. He'd be like, hey dad, you're not really doing nothing anyway. Do you wanna take me to GameStop? Like that, that's really what that meant for me. And usually he would say no and then say yes, right? But he would get me to GameStop. What that meant was it wouldn't be as easy as her taking me to GameStop, but it would be easy in the sense that I would be getting what I needed. Sometimes when it comes to us asking God for things, we stop at persistence and not at no. And so this woman persists with Jesus, walking past his no, and then he, like, he gives her the answer about the dogs thing. And there are as many perspectives on this as there are people in the room. We were in the office and I was talking to some staff members about this sermon and all three of us had a different perspective. If you read a bunch of commentaries, there are a different perspective. Some people are like, well, Jesus was using the term little dogs. 
Child, I don't care if it's a Rottweiler, or a pit bull, or a chihuahua. You call me a dog, you call me a dog. Right? Like, I don't really care what type of dog it is, a Pomeranian, a Golden Doodle, whatever. A dog is a dog. Right? And so we're going to leave that there. Right? However, we know he calls her a dog. Now, again, he isn't using a slur. He isn't cursing at this woman. Right? So we're going to leave that there as well. But no matter what it was, one thing that I think we can agree with is it isn't going good for her. Right? Like, it's not going good for this woman. And when things aren't going good for us in our walk with God and we are asking him things and he's becoming a little difficult, there are two paths we can choose to walk. We can walk the path of faith or we can walk the path of frustration. You see, I often, even as someone who stands on a stage in front of people talking about Jesus, choose the path of frustration. I'm not the perfect person that people might paint me to be. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. Right? Like, I, I often walk the road of frustration. What does that mean? It means that sometimes when things aren't going my way with God, I get frustrated and I leave him alone. Because we all have a responsive to frustration. Think about the way you responded when you were a kid. Did you cry till you had your own way? Is that the way you act when God frustrates you now? Did you take matters into your own hands and get things done the way you know how to get them done? That's probably the way you react to God now. You see, I am the latter when God puts up a block, I'm like, I don't even need you no way. I'm going to do this myself. I've been doing things myself for a long time. I understand how to do it. I understand how to get it done. You see, because frustration only does one thing. Frustration does not pull you closer to Jesus. It pushes you further away. And so instead, the response, I'm hoping everybody inhabits today is the response of faith. And what does faith look like for this woman? You see, in the midst of this, she's having an encounter, and it's not going her way. And, and again, exegetically, we don't really know why Jesus is saying what he's saying. Like, why would, that's very harsh language, Jesus. But again, if you read the Bible, he's actually not as soft and pillowy as we like to paint him out to be. And so he is having this encounter with this woman, and she's pushing back, and he's pushing back. And they're having this encounter, and imagine what this is like for her. Again, she is a Gentile woman, but she's standing in front of a Jewish rabbi, in a group of 12 other Jewish men, she is the lowest rung on the totem pole right now. She might be at home, but she isn't at home in this space. And I'm sure as they say, it's not right to give the children's bread to dogs. I feel like James and John, they're a little bit more turnt. James and John were like, you right, it didn't give the, the children's bread to dogs. She need to get up out of here. And Peter was like, you know what, he right too. Like, she, like let's get her out of here. Right, and so she's in the middle of these dudes and, and they're talking and they're jeering and they're laughing. And she keeps pushing. And what instills faith in me from her reply is what Jesus said after it. In verse 27, Jesus's response is this. Verse 27, she says, yes, Lord, yet even the, ch the children eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then the next verse, Jesus heals her daughter immediately. Jesus says, your faith is great. Let it be done unto you. And then he walks away. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says he moves on and he keeps moving. You see, we can look at this encounter and think from Jesus' reply that he didn't actually want to encounter this woman. However, he does one thing in the region of Tyre and Sidon, and it's talk to this woman. He doesn't do anything else while he's there. He shows up, this woman comes, and he keeps it pushing. 
I wonder if he actually went to have this encounter with her. You see, because when Jesus asks us questions or poses tough situations, he doesn't do so because he's confused about the answer. He's God, he knows the answer. He also doesn't do so because he is sadistic and just likes bothering people. He has other stuff to do than to bother us. And so if he does it, he does it to do two things. He does it to reveal something about himself and he does it to reveal something about us. When the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he's like, I've done everything and I'm a good person. And Jesus goes, sell everything you have to the poor and follow me. Jesus knows what the reply is going to be. The Bible says the rich man walks away sad and we never hear from this dude again. You see, Jesus knows the answer, but he is revealing something about us. And he revealed something in this woman that I'm not sure she knew, but I'm sure she will never forget. She had great faith. She actually believed Jesus was who he said he was. And why does this matter? This matters because having faith in God and also believing that he is ultimately good is one of the foundational realities of the Christian experience. You cannot worship a God you don't think is good. You cannot devote yourself to a God you don't think is good. And even if you think he is 99% good, you will not be devoted to him because every time something goes bad, that 1% will pop up in your mind. You see, this woman believed that Jesus was entirely good. And this is important because the author of Hebrews, when, he, when they are talking about Jesus and are talking about faith, they say this in Hebrews 11, they say, them that come to God, now without faith it's impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that number one, he exists, and that number two, he rewards those who seek him. You see, that, that verse there is important. It is impossible. If you're like me, what is impossible? Impossible means it ain't gonna happen. It ain't gonna happen to please God without faith because you must believe that he is and that he is rewarder that of them that diligently seek him. He, the fact that he is not only means that he exists, but he maintains the personality traits of God. And one of the personality traits of God is his goodness. He is unequivocally good. And so you must believe he is good, and then you must believe that he rewards those who seek him. I, read, I was raised reading the King James Bible, and the King James Bible says those who diligently seek him. You see, this woman recognized one thing. If I diligently seek him, he will reward me. I might not get the answer that I want, but he will reward me. Why? Because God honors faith and he honors faith to the point that he will push back on you to see if you push back on him in faith why because if he doesn't test your faith your faith doesn't grow and if your faith doesn't grow you remain a stagnant Christian and he recognizes that if just like working out there needs to be tension and resistance and your walk needs tension and resistance or you remain weak and so he pushes back against this woman in tension and resistance. And like a good faithful bodybuilder, she pushes back the weight and says, yet, but even 
the, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I wonder how often if God pushes against us, we call for our spotter and we're like, I can't even lift this. And he was like, no, you can lift it. You just need to try. And we're pushing back against God and we don't want to try. And he's like, I cannot give you what you need in your weakness. Because if I give you what you need in your weakness, you will ruin it. But if I strengthen you first and give it to you after, you will sustain it. Be honest with me. Is he pushing back against anybody today? You see, it's just not that woman, but there's a man in the Bible by the name of Job. And though their context is different, and though their story is different, and though Job exists before the region of Tyre and Sidon, even are like planted, like he is in the book of Genesis. That's how old Job is. You see, God pushed back against Job too. And Job is at the point of losing it all. And Job does exactly what this woman does. Job says these words. Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's the KJV. What that means is, even if I die, I'm trusting Jesus. You see, I don't say this as someone who doesn't have to trust God for things. I say this as someone who's been trusting God for some of the same stuff, and he ain't done it yet. But if I quote the words of Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I trust him not on the merit of my goodness, but I trust him on the merit of his. You see, this woman realized something. When Jesus calls her a dog, she doesn't say, I'm not a dog. She says, even if I am a dog, you're good enough to bless me just as I am. You see, we bet on the basis of his goodness. And so when I preach, I don't preach because I'm good. I preach because he's good. When the bills aren't paid, I have faith. Not because I'm good, but because he is good. And no matter what life is throwing at me, I recognize he is good. And if you're taking notes, here is the big idea. Because God is good, you can ask him for anything. I don't know who you are if you're watching online. Because God is good, you can ask him for anything. Keep asking him. Don't give up on him. You see, our culture, we don't have, we don't have a lens for this type of thing. When someone pushes back against us, our normal response is to say how good we are. Oh, I don't deserve this. Jesus, I am not a dog, Jesus. Jesus, why would you even call me that? Jesus, uh, we go back and forth, and Tim Keller, Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, one of my favorite Christian thinkers throughout time, he has a quote when he's talking about this woman, and Tim Keller says it like this. Tim Keller says, we don't have a framework for this type of rightless assertiveness. He says, this is something we know little about. This woman is not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve based on the basis of my goodness. She's saying, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness. And by the way, I need it now. You see, Tim, he's calling this rightless assertiveness. It is not going to Jesus and saying, God, I have a right to this. It's going to Jesus and saying, I don't have a right to this, but you're good. So by the way, I need it now. And it is banking on his goodness, even in spite of life's ultimate realities. You see, Jackie Hill Perry, when she's talking about the goodness of God, she says, if God is holy, then he can't sin. 
If God can't sin, then he can't sin against me. If he can't sin against me, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? And you see why? Because he cannot sin, he cannot do you wrong. It might seem like he's doing you wrong, but he, by nature of who he is, can't. If he is holy, it is actually functionally impossible for him to sin against you. And you see, so when I go to God and I pray, I say, God, listen, I don't even deserve what I'm asking for, but I still believe that you're holy. And if you're holy, you can't do bad to me. And so that means if it's bad, that means you're not sinning against me, which means that there must be something else going on. And when I read the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, and I see things are going in a way that I dislike, I remember, well, God can't sin. And so I need to take a moment, and in the moment where he looks like he is not being good, find his goodness. Because the more you read and the more you learn about God is the more you realize he is actually being good far more than we give him credit for. If you read the Old Testament and some of the laws he puts up about women, and you're like, oh, these laws are very harsh. Would you know that the Bible is the most progressive book when it comes to laws of women for that day and time? God actually gave women rights in a society where they had none. It's where we get the phrase kinsman, redeemer, if you know the book of Ruth. What does that mean? It means that you just couldn't die and leave your spouse to not have anything. Someone in your family was supposed to take care of her. See, Jesus is always doing good. It might not be the good that you want, but if I could remind you of something, we don't define good. He does. And if we did, we would change the definition every three years. It's the reason we keep having different editions of dictionaries, because we keep changing the meaning of words. But you see, God is ultimately good. And because he is ultimately good, you can ask him for anything. Here's your application, here is your points, here are the things I need you to take home today. Number one, remember. Number two, believe. Number three, ask. Number one, remember that God is good. See, not just over the course of your life, because that's like, that's cool, but remember his total goodness. Remember the fact that he has always been good. And your situation isn't going to stop him from being good today. So remember that God is good. And not only that, he is, not only his goodness too, but remember what he said about himself in his word. We like to take everybody else at their word except for God. When he says I'm good, we're like, maybe sometimes. You see, like we don't take him at his word. I'm going to read it for you. And so in Genesis, he shows us that he created everything. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm going to tell you something. He created everything. He's good. At Exodus, he walks in front of Moses and he says this about himself. This is God talking about himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and grateful God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Listen, he said this about himself. He says, I'm slow to anger and I am abounding in love and faithfulness. Listen, if he says that about himself, that means he's good. In Numbers, they say it like this. God is not a man that he would lie, nor a son of man that he would repent or change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not make it good? This is what God is saying about himself in his word in Deuteronomy. It says he is the rock. 
His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How right and how just and upright he is. Listen, if you know me, I grew up Pentecostal. I could go through all 66 books right now, but I'm not going to do it. We're going to jump to the New Testament because here is what he says. For nothing is impossible with God. Listen, worship to me. Y'all could come up. I'm getting ready to go home. I got a wedding to go to and it's already hot on this stage. So listen, ask. This is like remember. Number two, believe. Everything that you be- remembered, please believe it. When you remember that he's good, hold on to his goodness. What does a belief look like? Belief looks like when you sat in the chairs in this auditorium and you didn't check to see if they could hold your weight. You just put full trust in these old auditorium chairs. If you got enough faith to sit in that seat and think it can hold you up, my challenge to you today is to rest in Jesus and see if he can hold you up. So remember and believe. The last one is the one this woman does. Ask. The Bible puts it like this. It says, and I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Here is my challenge. Bank and bet on the goodness of God. When things aren't going well, remember that he's good and he isn't going to withhold any good thing from you. What do I mean? I mean, because God is good, you can ask him for anything. And it's not just Job and it's not just this woman in Tyre and Sidon. Jesus had some really close friends. And they hit him up one day and they're like, Jesus, your friend Lazarus is sick to the point of death. And he does it again. He doesn't respond. And he stays as Lazarus is sick. And he waits so long that by the time he get there, all they say is, Jesus, he's been dead. And he shows up. And they're worried and they're anxious. And I'm going to cut to the end of the story. The end of the story is this. After Jesus deals with their anxieties, he tells them to roll the stone from in front of Lazarus' tomb. And as they roll the stone, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And the man that was dead starts hopping out of the tomb, wrapped up like a mummy. And as he hops out the tomb, Jesus says, loose him and let him go. Take all that mummy stuff off. And the man who was dead lives. The dream that you have is that is dead. And you stop believing God was good because the thing you asked him for died. Do you believe he is good enough to resurrect it? Because he has proven that he is good enough to beat back death hell and the grave what do i mean by that you see on an old rugged cross some two thousand years ago he walked up a hill with a cross on his back and they beat him and they murdered him on a cross and he hung there and he died and he didn't fall asleep some religions say he fell asleep you don't fall asleep when someone puts a sword in your side you die And he died on the cross and he was so dead that they wrapped him in grave clothes and they put him in a borrowed tomb. We'll take note of the word borrow. And they put him in the tomb and he was dead all night Friday. And imagine being his disciples. You have left your home. You have left your job. You have left everything. And the man you left everything for is dead. And as they sit there despondent, he is dead all night Saturday. You see, just like the story in your life, 
If we keep focusing on what's dead, we will miss Sunday morning. And what is Sunday morning? The Bible says, Jesus raises himself from the dead with all power in his hands. And when they show up to the tomb, the stone that they put in front of it is rolled away. And there are angels sitting on the stone. And the women walk up and they go, are you looking for Jesus? He is not here. For he has risen from the dead just as he said. And so if he's good enough to meet the needs of this woman, and he's good enough to raise Lazarus from the dead, what is he not good enough to meet for you? And I don't say this because I'm pressuring you for a response. I say this because we must believe that he is good. Why? Because life is too bad to not think God is good. Times are too dark to not believe that God has your back. And you may be sitting here today, new to God, faith, and spirituality. You may be online exploring this church thing. I'm not gonna tell you to believe that Greenhouse Church is good because we will drop the ball. I will tell you to believe that Jesus is good. And why not give him a shot? What do you have to lose by going all in with Jesus? And because he is good, you can trust him. And because you can trust him, you can give him your whole heart. So today, if you've been holding back on a piece of you because you don't think God is good enough to bear it, give him your whole heart not 99%. Give him your whole heart. Invite him into the parts of your heart that nobody else has seen. Invite him into the parts of your experience that you would be ashamed to tell your pastor about. You don't gotta tell me, but I dare you to tell Jesus all about your trials. I dare you to trust that there is nothing that is too hard for him. You see, because God is good, you can ask him for anything. So I tell you again, remember that he's good. Believe that he is good and ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and know that it will be opened to you. If I could have our prayer partners come forward as we close. Like I said, I'm not trying to be up here long. You guys can come. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, y'all can come. You see these people that we call up here every Sunday. They aren't super Christians. They are just people who have volunteered in their service of God to pray. And I know our custom here is to walk out the door and to, and to leave, but you see, I'm not just asking you to come forward if you need prayer based on this sermon. If you want prayer for anything at all, anything, anything at all, find someone who will pray with you. If you walked in and at some point you're like, I really should have someone pray with me. Don't leave with that feeling. Why? Because we want to partner with you in believing in the goodness of God. That's all we're going to do. We're going to partner with you and believe that God is as good as he said he is. And that because he is good as he said he is, you can trust him. And it's not based on the merit of your goodness. If you're like, oh, Pastor Malik, I failed. At this point, I think I'm cursed. At this point, I think it's my generational curses. At this point, I think God doesn't even like me. At this point, I think I've pushed him too far away. What Kayla read earlier in that psalm, it would say it like this, if I was to make my bed in hell, even there he would lie with me. So I invite you to come during this song 
If everybody could stand with me, we're going to sing a song in response to Jesus. And do we sing because he's good and he's worthy of our worship? But if you're going through a tough time and you need a prayer, I invite you to come. And if you don't come, I just need you to leave believing this. Because God is good, you can ask him for anything. And because he's good, you can trust him.